Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Good morning. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for being here with us today. When I was growing up, my parents served in our church's student ministry. And so they were putting into practice and modeling for me what it meant to really like serve in that way. So I'm just, that's a side note as an encouragement. Like if you, if you want to like model for your kids, like start serving somewhere, like they'll, they'll notice that. Um, but I grew up in elementary school with my parents serving in, in our high school ministry. And so therefore I got to tag along to a lot of the high school events. So I didn't mind at all going to amusement parks and like going on like some crazy adventures and that kind of stuff. But there was one thing they did, this one event that has just stuck with me after all these years. I mean, lots of them have, but this one is a pretty interesting one. This was an event that they called Bigger or Better. And this, the idea behind this was really, really simple. We got a bunch of the high school students together, and then we sectioned them off into groups of about five or six, loaded them into vans, you know, this is like, you know, early 90s, okay? So we load them into vans, and then they go out, and what their goal is, is they have a few hours, and they have to be back at a certain time, they have a few hours to come back with something that is bigger or better than a penny, so each group started with a penny, and then they would go to like strangers, they could go to a, a mall, they could go to a shopping center, they go to people's houses if they wanted to. They knock on the door, they go up to somebody, and they say, hey, do you have anything bigger or better than a penny? And they might start off like, okay, um, here, here's a soda, right? Here's a soda can, you can have that. And then they would take that soda can and they would go to somebody else, another stranger, another person's house and say, hey, do you have anything bigger or better than a soda can? And they might get like a book or something, right? And then you keep trading up until time runs out. You would be back in the parking lot at a certain time. This is a pretty interesting game to play, but it all started with a penny. So we're standing in the parking lot. We're waiting for all these groups to come back. And one group comes back and they pull out of their vehicle, out of the back of their van, a push lawnmower. <laughs> and it still worked. So somebody was getting rich. So at some point they had kept trading up and were like, oh man, that's great. And I remember all the leaders being like, oh, this is going to win. They had never tried this event before. You know, they got a lawnmower and it still works. That's, that's definitely bigger or better than a penny. And then uh, another van pulls up and they have a truck with them. And in the back of their truck is a washer and dryer. Now, they didn't work. Like, they weren't, like, completely functional. I think the dryer didn't work. The washer did. But still bigger and better than the lawnmower, right? So we're, at that point, we're like, okay, we're, we're done. Like, like, this is it. Like, other, all the groups, like, they're not going to have anything bigger or better than a washer and dryer. So then we're waiting, and another van pulls up, and all the kids get out of this van, and their leaders are saying, hey, what, is, what do you have that's bigger or better? What did you come back with? Because the washer and dryer is taking the top spot. And they say, oh, just wait, it's coming. And a truck pulls up, pulling a flatbed trailer. And on the flatbed trailer is a car. It's an old beat-up car. It's a beater of a car. It didn't run. 
Uh, but some guy, and, the, and the guy who had it gave the title and everything. He's like, yeah, I'm just getting rid of this uh, hunk of junk. You can have it. Take it off my hands. So obviously they win, right? Bigger or better than a penny. It all started with that when they came back with a car. I think the reason that, games, that game works so well is because that's something that's kind of driven in all of us to find something that's bigger or better. And it all started with a penny. When I think of a penny, I think of it as being pretty insignificant, right? When I think of a penny, like if I were to like drop it out of my hand, if I were to just leave it on the side of the road, I, I actually pause to consider, is it worth the effort to bend down and pick up this penny? Nah, I'll just leave it, right? And we do that pretty often because it's not that much. It's, it's pretty insignificant. But if we were to drop like a $100 bill or if we were to see like, I'd been down for a quarter, by the way. Like a quarter, I'm there for a quarter. A penny, I'm not there for that. And why is that? I ask myself this question. Why is it that I would leave a penny behind but I would, I would go make a move for a quarter or, or a dollar or whatever. I think it's because it's in us to just want more. A penny? Eh. But a quarter? Sure. 50 cents? Yeah. It's this idea of having more, something bigger or better. And we know that our culture works this way. This is why we are marketed to, to upgrade our phones like every single year. My phone works perfectly well. There is nothing wrong with my phone. But there's something better right? It's faster. It takes better pictures. I don't care that the calls are clearer. It doesn't matter. It does everything else that I want it to do, but better, but more. This is why we have like new and improved on the side of boxes of cereal, of cleaner, right? When it's whatever it is, it's better. There's more in it this time. And we're attracted to that. Companies don't market to us by saying a sufficient amount of product is in this box, <laughs> right? They don't say adequate enough to do the job. It doesn't, they don't market to us that way because we're attracted to bigger and better and to more. And we recognize this in our kids at Christmas, right? I, my kids, especially, they'll watch uh, commercials, limited TV for that reason, because every commercial they see is, oh, I want that. Can I have that? I need that. I want that. And it's more and more and more. It's why Let's Make a Deal is such a fun show, a game show that people like because it's always the, all right, what if? Like, what if there's something bigger or better behind that curtain that's more than what I have in this box? It's just universal in us as followers of Jesus. We're not immune to that. We still have that in us as well. It's part of our human condition, and it actually goes all the way back to the very beginning. When Adam and Eve are in a garden... And God has placed them there with everything that they need. The first lie that's told to them by our, that little serpent, Satan, he comes along and whispers in their ear, you know what? There's something more. God's holding something back from you. And from that, all of humanity falls and sin enters the world from that idea that there might be something more and it perpetuates, and that's how we end up in the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, and one of those Big Ten is do not covet, right? We don't always talk about that one. We talk about the others. Do not covet, we, we don't always jump into, and it's probably because uh, we're really good at recognizing it in other people, but we're really bad at recognizing or talking about it when it comes to ourselves. 
See, God has something to say about our level of contentment and our level of discontentment, this idea that we're always wanting something bigger or better. In fact, I would venture to say that our discontentment that's left unchecked can actually breed dissatisfaction with everything else around us. If we find ourselves discontent in one area, we might actually then spiral and find dissatisfaction in in nearly everything else. And I'm talking about more than just things. It's more than just money. It, It translates into our status. It translates into uh, our job position. It translates into our relationships with other people. The idea that maybe there's someone better or we put expectations on other people that are, are not realistic because we think they should be more than what they are or better than what they are. It translates into everything. And even Jesus's followers weren't immune to this either. James and John And their mom, like they had a whole discussion about, hey, who's going to sit next to Jesus? How do we get a a bigger position? How do we get more when we're in heaven one day? And Jesus has to correct them. It happened pretty often. In fact, one time Jesus was teaching and somebody had a question for him. This is how it goes in Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. And then he said to them, so he went from answering the question to now speaking to the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Notice that word abundance, that's pretty key. Jesus is answering this question and then he is using it as a teaching moment to say that there is more than one kind of greed. It's not just inheritance. It's not just money. There's other kinds of greed. And then Jesus pivots, and now he's going to tell a story to kind of illustrate that. He tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, right? More than enough. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops, which wasn't true, by the way. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn, see, he did have a place, and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. That seems like a reasonable idea, right? And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's like his retirement plan, right? It's a huge surplus that he has, and now he can just rest and take life easy. But God said to him, you fool this very night. Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now I want to hang there for just a second because I think the the words that Jesus uses here are really key. They're really important. He says this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but, that's a key word, is not rich toward God. I think sometimes we look at this and we say, oh, it's really bad to have a lot of stuff. It's not what it says. It does, however, say that if you are storing up a lot for yourself and you're not rich toward God, like that's the issue. In this room, watching online, there are people of all different like statuses, right? There are some people who seem to have an abundance and they are not rich toward God. And equally, there are people who seem to have an abundance and are rich toward God. Likewise, there are also some people who seem to have little, and they are not rich toward God. And there are some people who seem to have little, and they are. 
So the issue that Jesus is, is driving to isn't really necessarily about the stuff. It's about what are, is the heart behind it. Are you really rich towards God? And so we ask that question, then what does that mean to be rich towards God? I love that Jesus likes to explain things because I always have questions and he always answers them. It's really fantastic. He says this, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. I think he's making a really interesting distinction here about food, things that provides like sustenance for our body. We could say it's like our health, right? Things that we, we need to survive. And then he's also talking about what you will wear. And that I think is correlated with our comfort level, right? The house that we might live in, the type of clothes that we wear, do we have that? For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. You understand your life is more than just living and living is more than just being comfortable. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Can anybody in this room, by worrying, add a single hour? No. If anything, it takes hours away, doesn't it? Since you cannot do this very little thing, right? It seems, should be simple, right? Since you can't do that very little thing, why do you worry about all the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor, they don't spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, one of the best, wisest, richest kings who ever lived in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith, and get this, this is where he makes the turn for us today. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Our heart, remember that. For the pagan world, those who don't believe in God, those who are living completely for themselves, they run after all of those things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I think it's interesting that he tells us in now that like, you might be worried right now, which can lead to fear, so don't be afraid. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. I think that's really interesting, that, that dynamic there. Jesus goes on to tell us that wherever our treasure is, there our heart will also be. It's like whatever we put our mind in, our heart is going to go there. And he correlates that by saying, you know what? Wherever that treasure is, you need to put it somewhere where it won't fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And like for me, that, that answers, I mean, asks a really important question. The idea that my heart is going to follow my treasure and that therefore my heart then could be stolen, essentially, because that treasure can be stolen. Like, where am I placing my trust? Where am I placing my faith? Is it just in the things? It is in the more? Is it the bigger or the better? Or is it in his kingdom? So then I ask myself this question. Well, who or what then has access 
to steal my heart. Like if something was disrupted in my life, would my heart be stolen too? And then if so, like that's a problem. Like what do I have to let go of? What am I hanging on to so tightly? What have I invested in? What am I thinking, oh, I need more of? It could be a relationship. It could be my career. It might be my stuff. It could be my desire for other people to be different than what they are. So who or what has access to steal your heart? That's a really important question. When I think about it in those terms, it it gives me pause a little bit. That desire that we have, that ambition, that drive for more isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, when you think about it, God gave us all a creative spirit. He himself was created. He himself produced this entire world, right? So that, that desire to produce something, to work, is in us. And it was in the fall, though, that that desire was corrupted. And our heart begins to pursue things that are not necessarily what he would have us pursue. This is why Jesus says to seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's the idea that God is not just there for the spiritual needs. And I think sometimes, I'm guilty of this, of placing God in my spiritual box, and he is only able to meet my spiritual needs. But that's not true at all. God is interested in every need that I have and every desire of my heart. He just says, listen, in order to pursue that, you don't need more and more and bigger and better. Just want more and more of me. Want more and more of my kingdom. And guess what happens in turn? The rest will follow. It's really where am I placing my heart? It can't be stolen if it's with him. But it can be stolen if it is in anything else. John knew this to be true as well. John was one of Jesus' followers in one of his first letters to the churches, the early church. He said this, don't love the world or anything in the world. My eyes wander. Our eyes wander. We look at other things. We say, I need that. I want that. And he says, don't love this world or anything in this world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. It's that dichotomy of his kingdom versus the kingdom of this world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. There is nothing eternal in that pursuit, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There's this dichotomy that we have, and what are we pursuing? What are we giving our hearts to? And it'd be really easy to make this a conversation about money, but I don't think that's what Jesus' intent is here. I think he's really talking about our heart. And that then in turn affects how I spend my money, how I do my job, how I treat my employees, how I treat my boss, how I am at school or wherever it is that I might be, into every relationship that I have, my parents, my kids, my siblings, my friends. I think John's driving home at that, and Jesus is driving home at that, and that desire of wanting more actually reveals something about us. I think that our level of discontentment in our life is actually in direct correlation to our level of pride. 
If you find yourself being discontent in lots of things, it's probably because you are trying to gain control of something that you cannot control. That is a pride issue. And it stands between you and God. It stands between me and my relationship with Jesus, that pride issue. So let's flip it to something positive then. Our level of contentment is in direct correlation to our level of humility. You understand that the more content I am, the more I understand that it's not about me, the more I understand that it's not about my pursuits, the more I have to then trust God and the more humble I will be. And that makes me humble in my relationships with other people. That makes me humble in my relationship uh, with other friendships that I have in my job. It makes me humble in how I spend my money and how I accumulate things because I understand that it all comes from him because it's his kingdom, it's not mine. And the people that he puts in my life are not mine, they are his. So my level of contentment causes me to be more humble. So then how do we get that? How do we find that contentment in our lives? Paul was a follower of Jesus very early on. And you want to talk about somebody who had a lot going for him. Someone who was driven with this bigger, better, more. He was in, of his religious circles, he was high in the elite, fast rising in what it meant in that circle, in that status. And yet Jesus flips his world upside down. And that drive then changes from being just about self and being just about religion and it actually focuses entirely on Jesus and building the kingdom of Jesus. And he wrote a letter to a church at Philippi and this is kind of how he wraps it up a little bit. In Philippians chapter 4 he says this, finally brothers and sisters whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I love that he breaks, he kind of gives us a prescription of how he's viewing his life. First he says, think about things, right? He says, think about it and then put it into practice and then the God of peace will be with you. So think of his kingdom because his kingdom is eternal. All those things that are pure and right and lovely. When I say those words, I don't know about you, but I feel immediately release and peace that of all the things that maybe I'm trying to hang on to. So I think about his kingdom, and then our second thing, is he says, is to act as citizens of that kingdom. How do we live then knowing that it all comes from him? Of knowing that we should be rich in the things of God, not just have an abundance of possessions, but also have an abundance of his kingdom in our lives. And when we do that, we experience the peace of his kingdom. We experience that lasting peace. So that when disruption happens in my world, my heart isn't stolen. Though I might lose something in my life, my heart isn't ripped away because it's centered on Jesus. It's centered on his kingdom. And worrying about it, I can't add one hour to my life. Paul was in a predicament. He was actually, at this moment of this letter, he was writing. He actually needed some resources. 
And he was writing to the church because they were helping to supply what he needed in that moment. He was trusting God that they would be obedient to him. And this is what he says in that moment. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am, here we go. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. We can be content in any circumstance that we find ourselves in. I know what it is to be in need. Anybody been there? Some of you might be there right now. I know what it is to have plenty. I've been there. Some of you might be there right now. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Do you want to know the secret? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, what's the secret? Here it is. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Sometimes we like to separate that verse out and, and we might apply it to a, a whole world of things, and that's great. I can do all things through Christ. Like, yes, we can do all things through Christ. But Paul is specifically referencing this. The secret to contentment is knowing that your source is Jesus. The secret to contentment is investing in his kingdom, being rich towards God. What does that mean? It means loving others the way that he loves them. It means thinking of others first. In the story that Jesus told, remember he said, you have stored up stuff for yourself. There was no avenue, no outflow for you to think of others, to be rich in his kingdom. Contentment comes from knowing Jesus, taking your strength from him, giving your heart to him, where no one can steal it. So I've been thinking about this all this week. I kind of have to look at my own life. I'm like, okay, so, so what's next for me in that? That's, I mean, that sounds amazing. Like, what do I need to do next? And this is, as I was praying about it this week, this is kind of where I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me this, and this I'll share it with you, and, and maybe it looks different for you, but this is kind of where it's landed for me, and that's the first thing is to just take inventory. What's in my life? Where in my life am I wanting more, bigger, better? Where in my life am I content? And how do I get those other places to that contentment? When I look at my life, where is that drive taking over? And then where's my heart? Am I putting it in places where it could be stolen? Am I putting my heart in situations and trusting in things where a thief could come along and steal it? Where if something happened to that or to that person, my heart would go with it. Where do I need to put it in Jesus? So it's better if I do that now before my heart is stolen, before it could be destroyed. And I also need to ask myself, what does abundance look like in my life? Where am I saying, well, I don't have anywhere to store this? Completely ignoring the fact that I do, and I'm just going to make something bigger to put it in. And again, not just stuff. Where do I have an abundance? Where am I hoarding things for myself? Where am I prideful? And how do I flip that? So that as I think of his kingdom, as I act in his kingdom, as I experience the peace that comes from that contentment of knowing him, I am then in a position to share that peace with others. 
you realize as followers of Jesus, we can store up God's goodness for ourselves and not share it with others. We like to say, oh, I have an abundance of peace. That's great. Don't put it in a barn. Share it with someone. And God has given us the best thing he could ever give us in his son, Jesus. Are we putting it in a barn? Or are we sharing that love with other people? Are we content with where God has us in this moment? And if there is ambition in us, is it for his kingdom? I don't know what that looks like for you. I think it's going to be different for a lot of us in this room. I just know that that's what Jesus has for us as his followers. If those who don't believe in Jesus, he said it. They pursue things and they're never going to get that peace. Because even the pagans pursue all of that, Jesus said. So what about us? How will we live differently? Will you pray with me? God, not always something we like to talk about. Not something I like to think about. God, forgive me that my drive for more, bigger, better is oftentimes corrupted. And I get distracted by the shiny things of this world, by the expectations that I place on other people. by the expectations I place on myself. God, would you turn all of that to be completely driven and focused in seeking your kingdom first. And in doing so, may I be content to experience that peace. God, and as we collectively and as individuals experience that peace, would you use that that we would share that with other people, that they would notice us, not for our own sake, not for our own ego, God, but they would notice the level of contentment in which we live and they would glorify you in heaven, that we would share your love, your light with them. God, we put our faith and our trust in you and forgive us where we put our heart in things where it can so easily be stolen. Reveal to us the change we need to make, God, and equip us and encourage us and give us that strength because we can do it through you, as Paul said, to make that change, to live that life, that we would be rich towards you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.